Welcome to another episode of Prodigy Search Presents. It's a great honor, and I'm very pleased to have Chris Overholt, longtime friend of mine from many years ago in the NHL days. Get to that in a second. Who's currently the president and CEO of Overactive Media Group? I think it's been two years now, Chris, which is um, yeah. in a while. But but I want to welcome and thank you for the time today. Thanks. Great to see you. And thanks for having me. Absolutely. So. Many of you, most of you, I know Chris. You've been around, like I say, for over 20 years. Prior to joining Over, Overactive, he spent eight years at the Canadian Olympic Committee as CEO. Um, prior to that, uh, CMO of the Miami Dolphins, CMO of the Florida Panthers, started his career, I believe, Chris, you can correct me if I'm wrong, with Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment uh, with a pretty strong lineage of talented people, including... Uh, Steve Griggs and and Tom Pistori and uh, Tom and Salmi and a number of different superstars in the industry. So uh, some great roots there in terms of um, you know all of those gone on to big greater things. But Chris, you joined uh, Overactive two years ago and would love to get an overview um, of what Overactive is, what they do, and then I want to talk a little bit about your your move from traditional sports into into esports. But give us an overview of. Over overactive media group and all the properties that you run and operate yeah sure thanks and uh you know you're right to point to that uh to that background with those people and i mean i feel so fortunate to have worked with some really great people over great years and the only thing that's difficult about that is you got to choose who to cheer for when the playoffs come but uh, <laughs> yeah uh, it's it's harder to be with them at this time of year that's for sure we got Grigsy and and top of story looking like they're heading towards a collision course yeah it's great fun to watch them all be so successful yeah this has been uh this has been really great really interesting and a, and a bit of a surprise journey frankly I, I knew that i knew that i wanted to move on from the olympic committee i'd had as you say over eight great years there and some terrific, um, some terrific experiences, met some great new friends and, and you know, just the privilege of serving as the CEO of, a, of any Olympic committee in the world, let alone um, my home country was, uh, was really great. But I was compelled, uh, I was compelled by the eSports opportunity. It was presented to me um, in 2016, actually, for the first time um, I had been uh, approached by a friend of ours, actually somebody you would know, and, um, he was in the middle of doing a search for the commissioner of the Overwatch League. Right. And uh, he came to me and said, look, I'm pretty sure you're not going to know what this is, but I'm telling you, it's a great company. It's a really great idea. And, and we just think you're perfect for it. Would you go out and talk to them? So I was fortunate enough to get a glimpse uh, on the inside of all of this really early in 2016. And Honestly, if they had offered me the job, I would have taken it. Like I, I was really, really taken, not just by the opportunity around esports and the way I thought it was going to scale globally, but but also by the people I met at Activision Blizzard and like just a really smart, great group of people, great culture, and uh, and again, in the end, we couldn't work it out and and uh, we didn't get it done, but. It certainly caught my uh, it caught my eye, and I was really very interested in in all of it. That said, I went back to, you know, kind of working away at my, my day job and we got ready for the, for the uh, winter games in Korea. And then out of the blue, I get a call from an old friend of mine, uh, Sheldon Pollock, who's now our chairman. And uh, he didn't know anything uh, about my time with Activision Blizzard or about those conversations. Okay. He just said, I think this is sport and you're the only guy I know in sport. <laughs> so 
how about dropping by the office tomorrow and talking to me about what all this is? So that's how we got started here. And Chris, you mentioned something, and that's exactly what I want to ask, because you look at your traditional, I want to say traditional, right? But your background over 20 years and kind of the traditional stick and ball sports, if you will. Um, and you're an example of a handful, probably in all fairness, more than a handful of people with deep experience, C-level, running organizations as a CEO, CMO, moving into this industry, which I think a lot of parallels all right we've, we've done some placements in esports and i think early on there was some thought that you had to be you had to hire a young gamer to come in and run an organization and with all the respect in the world they didn't necessarily have clearly the business acumen the experiences and then bring in people like yourself brandon snow who was at the nba right. and others that are in the industry now so i'd love to you know your thought i mean you live bit you know Further to that is you were approached in 16, came back with Sheldon in, in 2018, and the application of what you've learned or what you did learn throughout your career and how you're applying it against your business there. Yeah, no, it's, uh, you know, it's funny. You stay around long enough. If you're fortunate enough to have a long enough career, then you learn from, you know, previous experiences. And one of the pivots I, I saw, I think we all saw in the industry uh, particularly in the NHL, it strikes me, going back to around, you know, late 90s, early 2000s, and you and I were working together in those days on, 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 uh, on the NHL business, is there was a shift, it seemed to me, around that time where all of a sudden uh, the organizations were not being led by former players and athletes, but rather there was a pivot to starting to draw packaged goods marketers and professional business acumen into the business, and drive a certain level of sophistication into the NHL, you know, marketing those teams as brands and so on. And I was very fortunate and privileged to be working with, um, with I think, two of the best in the industry in the early days of the Raptors. Uh, Richard Petty, our CEO, uh, was a career packaged goods marketer and, and had grown up in that industry and then had a brief period of time leading the, the development of what was then known as Skydome. Uh, he was the president of Skydome in the first half dozen years. And a guy named Michael Downey, who, uh, of course, has gone on to lead Tennis Canada and produce great results there. But Michael was our senior VP uh, of sales and marketing in those early days. Both of those guys came with very eclectic business backgrounds, and they brought that expertise and that brand strategy and all of that thinking in a much more sophisticated way to, you know, the Maple Leafs ultimately and the Raptors in, in the form of Maple Leaf sports. And then, you know, the addition of... Tom and Salmi and Ian Clark and Bob Hunter, these were business people first, right? right. So this is what the esports industry is, is getting to just now and what we've been trying to do here. You know, our model for our business, and I say it all the time, I'd, I'd probably say it three times a day, is we're building the Madison Square Garden or the Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment for esports. You know, we're building a route that has, uh, it's, you know, Richard used to always say the teams are the engines, you know, that's where you build your, your fan affinity, that's where you build your partner, your sponsor momentum. So the first thing we did was go out and acquire teams that could be the engine of our business and be the brand affinity for our fans and our community. But what we're really doing is we're building out platforms, platforms of integration and ultimately express a 21st century sports media and entertainment company with its roots in esports. So our teams are the beginning of that. You know, we own the Overwatch team, the Call of Duty team here in Toronto. We own two teams over in Europe that play in League of Legends and Counter-Strike. Um, but they're really just the beginning. You know, as, as you and I have talked about, and I'm sure we'll come back to, we're getting ready to start to develop our own venue in the city, not just for esports, 
but for sports and entertainment in, in a manner and in a style that will make sense to a younger generation of media and sports fans. And Chris, you allude to it there and uh, the expansion, and I, I'd like to talk a little bit about the venture group or the, your, the people, the group behind, you'll have to introduce me uh, a little deeper and to others that are listening to the group that there's behind it and the vision behind it, right? And, and I think, and love you to talk about the staffing. I think arguably, I think you've built and will continue to build a broader staff that isn't necessarily the model of other esports franchises. But to your point, and what we've talked about in the past is building that platform that it goes way beyond the esports organizations and to the multimedia center. So I'd love you to a little bit, explain a little bit of that and the outgrowth of that and, and the partners behind it. Yeah, great. Thank you. And it's, a, it's the right question because, you know, all those years I worked with Joe Bailey, you might remember that name. He was the CEO of the Dolphins. But of course, before that, he was in the executive search business, worked for uh, Russell Reynolds and Hydrant Struggles and, and had a great career uh, before all of that started, 19 years with the Dallas Cowboys. But one thing he always used to say to me working with him every day was, people are your only form of sustainable business event. And that was a similar sentiment, not expressed in quite the same way, but that was a very similar sentiment that Richard Petty always held. He was very people-driven, very culture-driven. And, uh, you know, I've been fortunate to work with, um, with those and others that thought of people first. And so it's the very same approach that we've taken here. So, you know, I would argue we have, you know, immodestly said and, and, um, and with, uh, with great respect for all of those we compete with every day, I would argue we have the best team in esports right now globally. And I say that with confidence because I've had some of them with me before in previous roles. Uh, so I've watched them be successful in other things and I'm watching them every day be successful here. But, you know, Allison Walker, who, who leads our business operation and uh, who was with us at the Olympic Committee for those first few years when we had all that commercial success coming out of Vancouver. Uh, she's leading every aspect of our, our business operation today. Paolo, whom you've met, you know, his experience was certainly with me at the Olympic Committee, but prior to that in politics and since then with the Canadian Football League and the launch of Zone here in Canada. Uh, Tyler Keenan, who runs all of our marketing partnership business, was 10 years on the Nike brand here in Canada. And Mike Armstrong is, um, uh, is our, our global head of marketing, and he was... Um, for many years, kind of packaged goods career as well, but most recently the head of brand strategy for Google. So we've got really seasoned people in our business and a little bit of gray hair and the combination of, you know, finding people at just the right moment in their career with those pedigrees and a little bit of experience in sports and entertainment, I think sets us up for a much different conversation with investors and with marketing partners, and candidly, even with our players about how we can help them build their brands and be commercially successful as players. On the ownership side, what I think the secret sauce is there is the eclectic nature of our group. So again, it's like, um, you know, when you're putting together a hockey team or a basketball team, you don't necessarily just pick the best, most skilled players. You pick the right players to serve a role according to the style you want to play in a business or or the strategy you want to apply to, uh, to your team. In our case, Sheldon Pollock is a longtime tech innovator and investor, classic entrepreneur, built businesses from scratch and built a particularly big one here that he later sold. And since then has been making venture investments in small tech companies as much as he would tell you, as much 
to stay interesting and relevant in the marketplace and to his children and connected to things that are new and exciting and interesting to a younger generation of consumer and of fans. Mike Kimmel is, um, is uh, you know, of a very successful family that was built by the patriarch and his uncle together, uh, established, uh, you know, significant wealth. And he and his brother, Jeffrey, and his cousin, Ryan, are, again, classic entrepreneurs, but represent um, kind of a new age of thinking for that family. They're invested in hospitality and entertainment. Uh, they're minority shareholders in the Pittsburgh Penguins. And so they have a mind to sport. And it was Mike, really, for that family that had a vision to what the esports place could be. And then I have to tell you, Adam Adamu, uh, who was uh, an investor partner at Sheldon's. But as soon as I met Adam, I knew I needed him in the business because his background was venture capital and early stage uh, M&A. And, and frankly, I just don't have that experience. I wouldn't know the first thing to do if we decided we wanted to buy a company tomorrow. But I asked Adam, did you actually join me in the business and be our chief strategy officer? So that when we could see opportunities in a new industry, when we could see opportunities for consolidation and strategic advancement, I could have an expert sitting beside me and I don't need to worry about that. I know I've got a guy right there. So a nice eclectic group of skills coming together to make a strong unit. So the esports franchises, uh, just a little bit of backpedal a little bit. So it was overactive, a venture and then you acquired the uh, overwatch teams had they been i mean the, the the teams were they are and were they and are they the anchor of the business yeah or the yeah so uh, when Sheldon came to me he said hey we're, we're, we want to buy an overwatch franchise and i said well as it happens i know a little bit about that and that makes a lot of sense to me but i think you you better hurry up because maple leaf sports is probably going to want it and you're not actually meant you're not the model for this league as it turned out, they, we caught them at an interesting time, you know. Mike Friesdale was just joining the business and getting his grounding as a CEO. Um, you know, they were really focused, of course, and appropriately on building the Leafs and the Raptors, and of course, with great success. And the one guy in that place who would have had a real strong eye to esports and its future was Dave Hawkinson. And, and I know this because I used to have to hound him to sell tickets. He was busy running home to play Call of Duty in those years. <laughs> But, but Hoppy would have been the one guy who really would have loved this. Yeah. Uh, but he had already signaled, of course, that he was moving on to Real Madrid. So we caught them at a moment. But the original premise of this business was to buy the Overwatch franchise. Okay. But as I said earlier, in, in a new industry, in, in one that's growing and consolidating, um, we, we couldn't see anything but opportunity here to build something bigger. But yeah, the, the teams are the core of the business in the same way that the Leafs and the Raptors are the core of MLSE. Right. But again, what we're doing is starting to diversify our, our platform so that we can be more broad gauged in our discussions with investors and partners. So two part question. Um, I'd love to know what the vision, what, what you believe the vision of esports is. I mean, again, I think it's unfair to say that we're all learning it because I think it clearly is, um, very successful, especially during, you know, the coronavirus and where people are a little bit housed in, in home and, and therefore the, the viewership and I think the interactivity is probably arguably uh, very much on the rise. But what's the, what, what do you, where's the vision? Where's the future growth as it relates to esports in your mind and your ownership of mind? And then, and then second part, which we can come back to is what's the vision, broader vision of your group and where you take that as the anchor and, and build out your multimedia 
business venture? Yeah, those are great questions, Scott. So first, you know, the global ecosystem for this is, um, it's, you can understand why people are daunted by the conversation, frankly, because it's, it's kind of all over the place, you know, which publishers, which game titles, what's the difference between eSport and gaming, and how does Fortnite drop into the mix when it's really not played competitively, but it is. And so if you're looking in on this as an investor or as a marketing partner, even you're, you're wondering what the heck's going on. So the first piece of it for us is we've got to be, um, we've got to have a long view to the industry and we've got to be um, patient in terms of the way that we take on those conversations. We've got to be prepared to educate and, um, and make sense of this for those that are engaging with us. You, um, if you look at the business, what you would see is kind of a mishmash of opportunity. You know, you look at streamers and influencers and what they're doing and all the, all the activity that revolves around them and the great social following. And, um, and then you look at esports and you look at leagues like Call of Duty and Overwatch. Um, but our thesis is that the value in the industry is going to be rooted in the esport leagues that have a franchise model. Mm-hmm. that, um, you know, playing for prize money, betting on the fact that you're going to win is not a sustainable business model, right. which is what most of the industry was prior to the Overwatch League. The Overwatch League was the first new business model that really gave owners a piece of the pie. It gave you a chance to buy your way in. You could own a region. You could develop a franchise. You could develop live events around it build fans as a result, build marketing partnerships around that fan affinity. It's a model that we can look at and understand because it looks just like the model of the NBA or the NFL or the NHL. And most importantly in that business model, as franchise holders, we get to sit inside the enterprise growth of those leagues and share in the revenues as they develop. Right. So as they do broadcast rights deals, as they build out sponsorships and licensing deals, as franchise holders in those leagues, we get to share in that. So that was a, the Overwatch League was the first of its kind in that way. League of Legends pivoted very shortly thereafter. And then um, uh, Counter-Strike is one of the bigger games in the world, but we couldn't find a way into Counter-Strike because it was all tournament play for prize money. So what we did there was, we actually went to other team-based organizations that were strong like we were, and we built our own league and bought ourselves franchises into those leagues, and we formulated uh, a franchise league opportunity around Counter-Strike, because again, one of the bigger games. All of this to say, um, where previously there was no business model that anybody could conceivably hold on to. If you were an owner of a team, you were playing for prize money, and you were betting that you could get sponsors to come along for the ride. But the Overwatch League, League of Legends, Counter-Strike, all of those uh, gave us an opportunity to build out a model that we could really develop. And and so that gave us confidence that we could ride that wave of global audience and monetize that fan together as part of those. You know, it's interesting, Chris, as a spinoff of that, and what I was thinking as you were describing that, which makes absolute sense, and clearly that I don't want to say it sounds too America-centric, but the U.S. sports organization model, league model, has resonated so well. It's been a multi-hundred billion dollar business, right? I think you've seen the English Premier League and other European sports, you know, bring in Americans to help monetize and build that model. So that's successful. But is there a future model, and this is 
popped in my head. Is there a future model that may differ from that as it relates to this league that, you know, you'll say, hmm, here's an idea, or is it, look at the, the pro sports model, the, the league, league model is, is, isn't broken. Don't, don't try and fix it. It's, it's resonating billions of dollars. I'm just curious if there's a new model that comes out of all this. Yeah. They may all look at and say, hmm. So there, it's the right question because there already is. Like I mentioned earlier, we own the Overwatch team. We own the Call of Duty team in Toronto. And we also own a European League of Legends franchise. Those three franchises are all, you know, similar to the NBA, NFL, NHL model that we all understand and know. The, the other league, the Counter-Strike league that we play in, that's us along with Cloud9 and TSM and um, Scott O'Neill in, um, in uh, Harris Blitzer, his group Dignitas, and another group out of, um, out of Korea, Fun Plus Phoenix. Uh, we came together as an ownership group and broke the model and said, look, nobody who plays Counter-Strike for prize money makes any money. So we created our own company, a company called B-Site. Okay. And we then went to Valve, the publisher, and said, give us a license for this game and we're going we're gonna to create another league. Okay. And in that league, we bought ourselves, uh, so we created a company that we own a piece of. Then we got a license and then we created a, uh, a league that we own a piece of. And this is the first team-owned league in the world. Interesting. So that's us with others innovating to a new model, to your point. Okay. The other piece that's really important is you need to be close to and have relationships with the biggest publishers in the world. And you need that for two reasons. First of all, it's not an easy thing to start an eSport. In fact, it's very difficult. Just ask Brandon and, uh, and others that you've known in the space. And it's also very, very expensive. Like, I can't tell you the specific numbers, but let's just say it's in multiples of tens of millions what Activision Blizzard has had to spend to get those two leagues up and started in the last several years. Right. So it's not like just any publisher can decide they're going to be in the esports business tomorrow in the same way that it would be very difficult, and we've watched others try, to birth a new NBA or a new NFL, right? right? So if you're with, the only thing that matters then is are you with the biggest publishers, the most influential publishers, and the ones that have the most resources? And we are. We're Activision Blizzard and Riot Games are the biggest and most important publishers in the world together between them. They probably produced five out of the six top game titles over the last 25 years. Right. The other one is Valve. Valve, as a publisher, produces a game called Dota 2, which is huge in China, and Counter-Strike, as we just talked about, which is one of the biggest games in the world as well, and we're partnered with them. And then while Fortnite is arguably one of the biggest games is produced by Epic, it's not really an eSport. Again, if you're a Fortnite player, you can play for prize money, but you don't play as a team and so on. But again, we have very good relationships with Epic because, well, because we're one of the industry leaders in the space. So why is all of this is important? Well, because when Riot Games announced, as they did a few months ago, that they've got a new game in development, a game called Valorant, and they're thinking about the potential of this game as their next esport to run alongside their now 12, 13-year-old game, League of Legends. Well, you know, guess who they call first? Hey, we're developing this new game. We're thinking maybe it's an eSport, uh, but we're not sure yet. You know, would you like to be part of the beta? You know, certainly because we're invested with them already in European League of Legends, we're going to be one of a number of organizations that get a call about a Valorant franchise when and if the time comes. So we're, because we've taken the leadership position that we have and because uh, we're so close to the publishers by default in that position, 
Right. We feel like we have a hedge and we're insulated against kind of new models and new opportunities as they might develop. Very impressive. So where's, and I'm going to use the word consolidation, but, but I don't know if that's the right word because there's different, you know, publishers are doing, you know, releasing perhaps different games, you know, on into the future. So I'm not sure it's a consolidation. There's two or three or four key publishers that you mentioned, right? The, the big major ones. But is there a consolidation or, or the other part of the question, I guess, would be what's the future? I mean, you look at it. You know, again, I struggle as a 61-year-old, you know, I'm not the demo, I'm not the one home playing games, and, and everybody talks about how, you know, I grew up, perhaps you grew up, Chris, I know you're a big LA Dodger fan from Toronto, and we watched traditional sport, right? And maybe there was a time where our, you know, our grandparents or they said, why are you watching, you know, live baseball, or why, and perhaps that's now where eSport is, right? You know, young, you're asking my grandson, who's 10 years old, and playing Fortnite and watching, you know, other games, and that's, is that the future? So what is the future? What is the vision? Where do you see it five years down the road? Yeah, so there's a few components to that. First of all, I'll share a statistic with you, that, which is a Nielsen measurement, by the way. Um, in 2019, the only major sport, the only major league that grew in the 18 to 24 demo was Overwatch. Wow. The only major one, I had a baseball, NCAA, NHL, all the sports that we grew up with and have grown to love, of course. The only league in, um, that grew in the 18 to 24 demo in 2019 was Overwatch. Wow. Uh, so, you know, what's, what's that tell you? Well, there's a whole generation of fans that consume sports media and entertainment differently. And, you know, my kids are great examples. They're a little bit older. They're, they're millennials, 26 and 24. But... You know, my kids grew up inside of sport. You know, they were fortunate and privileged to be at, you know, regular season NBA and NHL games as often as they care to and, you know, significant playoff games and championships. And yet, you know, while they still love sport and they've grown up playing sport, they consume YouTube and watch eSport probably as, uh, as much or more than they did uh, watch pro sport. So there's a whole generation of kids that just consume media differently and think about what sport is differently. And, um, and equally, uh, that generation of consumer uh, speaks to a very, um, uh, you know, a, a very hungry group of brands that are trying to figure out how to get to them and how to get to them maybe as importantly in an authentic way. So our theory is that um, we're going to build, again, a Madison Square Garden or Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment, except for that generation of fan, right? We're, we're going to be in the eSports business at our core. We're going to have other platforms for distribution and so on. But we're going to be party to not only building a company, but we like to think helping to build an industry around live event consumption of these sports and around how they engage with the players and how they engage in social with the fan base and the community. Think about it, it used to be that your community of, um, you know, uh, Steve Griggs and I sat a whole generations of Toronto Maple Leaf fans in the Air Canada Center years ago. Yeah. Fans who came in every day and told us and told our staff stories about how they came to own those tickets and the great memories they had of going to the games with their mothers or grandfathers or, or sons and daughters. Those communities today exist online more than that. They talk to each other in, in very different ways and, and uh, you know, they have interesting elements of their culture that are you know, frankly difficult and challenging if you're a brand or even a, a team owner. But there's an entirely different dynamic that brands are trying to figure out every day and frankly that we're still figuring out. 
but it's a lot different than what you and I knew. So our future, while we still believe it is going to be in live sports and, and the evolution of, of esports as a live event, um, we also need to be experts in influence marketing and digital and social media and content creation for brands and, and authentic integration of those brands. It's a completely different ballgame. And frankly, you know, to your earlier question, one of those things that I think uh, traditional brands and sports teams in particular are, are going to need to pivot to. Um, you know, think about what all of these pro teams are going through right now. Think about what music acts are going through right now and the, you know, the, uh, the dearth of, um, of live events generally. There's going to be a pivot moment coming for all of these live kind of uh, sport and live event acts that are, are going to need to drive a new level of connection. And we think, uh, we think we've got at least a running start on that conversation. So, so segue that to the vision of the ownership group. You talk about uh, the facility that's going to be constructed um, somewhere, I don't know, downtown Toronto, wherever the footprint may be for multi-use, eSport perhaps being the core. So what's the vision there with respect to Overactive and, and how that plays in from the core on out? Yeah, thank you for that question because it's the most exciting part of what we're doing. Uh, you know, again, I said it just now, we're, I say to our team every day, we're, we're not just building a company, but we're actually having a hand in building an industry. And we talk every day, and, and Scott, you would appreciate that in the days that, you know, I worked with MLSC and you were at the league, and, you know, that was a partnership. We needed, and we talked all the time about how we need to work together, and we worked hard at that in the, in the business operations group that you were leading, and that was true on the TIMO side for NBA as well. So first and foremost, as Overactive Media, we're trying to be good partners to our lead partners, right? So uh, we, we work in a very constructive and a cooperative way with Activision Blizzard and with Riot to not just promote our teams and promote the league and the players within the league and to have fun with it, frankly, and just try to be good partners in that way. But the ultimate expression of our business is, is a, a vertical integration of, of this industry. And so, you know, if you think of it as a series of steps, we're already well away or well aware um, of the steps that we needed to take. It started with the teams. Uh, it's followed closely, of course, by the content that you need to build to engage the fans and, and to help uh, your marketing partners reach that, that community. Um, then we pivoted our, our model into league and tournament creation. So we started B-Site and we started our first league, Flashpoint. That's that Counter-Strike league. And then uh, the next expression of that is being in the live event, live content business, the venue business. And so all of those things right now are component pieces of, of the global ecosystem, but they're also pieces that we own and are developing inside of Overactive Media. The highest expression of that opportunity is to own a publisher. Because the moment you own the publisher, you have a, an opportunity to integrate the intellectual property with the leagues, with the teams, and with the player and the fan community. So we were about four months into this and Adam, my, my partner, my M&A strategist, comes to me and says, I think we should buy a publisher. And I'm like, I just got here, I barely even know what's going on. And, uh, and he says, I've got a conversation going and I'm gonna take him to NDA and we're gonna see where it's going. You know, we're, we're barely started. I think at that point we had raised 25 million bucks or something and he wants to buy a publisher for three or 400 million dollars. We didn't get there. Uh, we had a good conversation, but in the end, somebody else came along and bought them. But that only validated what we were thinking. And, and so, you know, our vision for this company is that we're vertically integrated through across the ecosystem, up and down the value chain. 
and that ultimately one day, maybe either on our own or with partners like in Site, we own a publisher where we can actually have a hand in, in, in integrating uh, the whole of the business. The last thing I will say is this could come full circle, right? We, um, we have owners who, again, have a long view to this industry and who are already invested and engaged in pro sport. So you never know. I mean, we, uh, we could be in a place where if we do all the things we're working on every day, if we do them well over an extended period of time, maybe one day we could be in traditional sport business too. And, and, uh, and then we've got a fully integrated sports media and entertainment company on a global basis. Oh, it's uber impressive. And, and uh, you've always been a very impressive intellectual guy that I, uh, you've probably forgotten more than I'll ever know, but, but you're, you're, I want to ask you, I want to go back one step if I may. And I, and I know we're, talking this at a time here, but what, given your background, Chris, and what you've known and what you've learned and how you applied against you, what can you say what you've learned and how traditional sports franchises can learn from the eSport business? Is there something you take, I mean, that's probably too broad a question, but is there a takeaway or a, a tidbit that you'll say, you know what, here's what I've learned that I think the traditional sports organizations should apply? Well, the first thing that, uh, and I'm very appreciative of your comments, thank you, it's very nice. Um, the first thing I need to say on behalf of all of us here is we don't have it figured out, not by a long shot. I mean, um, one of the very fun things about all of this is you can have a strategy and sometimes it gets blown up in a day and then you're moving on to the next thing. So we're, you know, we got a group of smart, really highly energized people here, but we wouldn't profess to have it all figured out. We, we, have, a, we have a vision for where we're going, but... Um, we challenge each other on it every day, and we're still we're still taking a lot of information in every day. Um, that said, I would go back to what we talked about earlier. I think if I've learned anything over a career, and again, working for Joe Bailey and Richard Petty and Tom and Salmi, like those guys were so good at people. They were so good at building cultures, and and because they were so good at it, and because they were so focused on it, they attracted great people. And then you know, as uh, as others have said along the way, you know, success begets success and, you know, smart people attract other smart people into conversation and there's just a natural momentum that takes shape around that. So, you know, within, uh, within our abilities to do so, we've tried to attract some really high quality people early to this. And, you know, to do that as a leader, you've got to bring a certain amount of enthusiasm and optimism for what you're doing. And, yeah. and I try to do that every day. But now I can tell you, like, I am surrounded by people who are as passionate about this as I am, who are so skilled and are bringing, you know, innovation to the industry. And I really think that's going to be the difference maker in the end. I mean, we could have a collection of organizations that maybe own assets like ours, but it'll be your people that make the difference in terms of how they engage with the fans, how they engage with the marketing partners, how they bring energy and deliver results to those relationships. It's the people. So uh, it's a very cliche thing to say, but it's just, it's been true for me the entire time. It, it's just, you've got to have great people who are fun and so true. like to laugh. And we're in the people recruiting business, right? I've been fortunate to be doing it now for almost 15 years. And, and one thing that I love about what we do, that not that this is about me, but spinning off and playing off what you said, is I love uh, finding the right people to fit the culture of any given organization we're working with. I mean, that to me is the fun part. When you've got, you've got the spec, you've got the organization, you got the job description, you know what you're going to do, but you know what you need? You need to find the personality that's going to meet and yeah. exceed the personality of the given organization. And that's the fun part. Because culture, yeah. culture is everything. 
it really is. And when you put all those pieces together and then, you know, and then all of a sudden it's just high level functioning in ways that you're not even touching. Like that's when it's most energizing for me is, you know, you know, we, as I mentioned, some of the great people we've got working here, but you know, Allison was a big difference maker for us. She arrived here about a year ago and, you know, I have a shorthand with that lady that just makes life easier for me in all in so many ways. But I said to her when she came, I said, your job is to connect all these very, very smart, intelligent, hardworking people. You've got to get them, got to get them like this and, and get them working in a more integrated way because they're all strong doing what they're doing, but they need the kind of leadership that I can't provide because I'm busy running around every day. And man, she's done such a great job. And, and now they're, they're all like, I'm barely running the business, Scott, honestly. <laughs> I'm, I'm out with Adam every day looking at different opportunities and working on our investor community. And, but man, Allison and, and our executive team are running the business. And I say it that way very intentionally because I once had a conversation with Richard Petty about that. And he answered me that way. He said, Chris, I don't run the business. You guys run the business. Tom, Bob, Ian, they provide leadership to you guys every day. Our executive team that includes you, you guys are running the business. I'm just making sure we stay on strategy. I'm engaged with our board. And I'm talking to our investors to make sure that they feel like we're on track and, and providing guidance. And that's what's happening here now. And I can't even tell you how rewarding that is. That's beautiful. Well, you've done a great job, Chris. I'm, I'm uh, again, honored and, and privileged to call you a friend and uh, a colleague and, and someone I've known for a number of years. So I wish you huge continued success. We could talk on forever because if nothing else, I could learn a lot more about the esports industry. I think I know a little bit, but clearly it doesn't even scratch the surface. But wish you huge success continued success. Let me know if we can ever help in any way, but uh, looking forward to staying in close touch and be safe during these crazy times as the hopefully world settles back into some normality. Yeah. Thanks, Scott. Same to you and yours. And uh, I do value our relationship over a long time now. So thanks for having me. All right, my friend. You're welcome.